Hello, this is Wayne Highlander. I'm National Sales Manager at Bone Adhesives. And I'm Rob Johnson from Bona Training. And this is another episode of On the Floors with Wayne and Rob. So, Rob, how you doing today? Pretty good, Wayne. Pretty good, a little tired. Uh, we took some sport guys up and saw a Buffalo Bills game, and um, it was a great weekend, had a lot of fun, but uh, I'm, I'm feeling it a little bit. How was your weekend? What did you do this weekend? It's good. I, uh, I had a low-key weekend by design. So I uh, actually, I the first weekend I sat down and got to watch some football. So my wife went to yoga and uh, I went and watched. In fact, I got I got a little bit of trouble over the weekend. Uh, she went to yoga and and I and I'm so happy. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not often really very content. You know, when it's like I'm just happy and just knowing that I had the day that I could sit down and watch football. It'd be the first full Sunday that I've ever been able to do that this year. And, uh, so I, I went out to the cupboard and I got, I see who so had some nice cheese spread in there and these really nice crackers. So I made myself some, and I sitting down in my underwear and watching football by myself. And, uh, I was admiring the scar on my knee from my, my recent surgery. And I know uh, we got, uh, you know what? There you go. Yeah. That's right. We have to remind everybody that Wayne did play a little ball in his day, didn't he? Uh, surgery wasn't from ball; it was from doing floors. But okay, uh, yeah, but it's just okay. You can't run ring the bell now, can you? So, uh, so I'm eating the crackers and uh, I'm I'm happy and I'm watching the game until my wife comes home and she asks me what I'm doing eating the the, the crackers that uh, that are for our guests next next Wednesday. We're having people over at the house and she went and made a special trip to this place we call the Yuppie Pleasure Dome. It's uh, it's uh, really very nice high-end food. It's not your regular supermarket, and uh, it's a long way away. And she went there for this special occasion, and I'm sitting there on my fat butt, and I got the crumbs all over my T-shirt, feeling pretty guilty. But other than that, it was a good weekend, man. So, Rob, were you wearing a shirt when you did this, or were you eating the, you know, the crumbs and stuff right off of your chest? That's what gave that's what gave me away was the black shirt and the cheese uh, on the side of my mouth. But I was man, they were great crackers, nice spread. You know, I was thinking, yeah, she she really got the good stuff. But uh wasn't for me. So Rob, we are gonna talk about doing uh recoats and maintenance, right? Yes, sir. Let's go. It should be right down your alley, buddy. Um you wanna lead it off? No. Why would I lead anything? Why, why, You're our why, lead guy. Why, why should you ever? All right, do I'll tell you, I'll lead it off then. Okay. Let's lead it off with some some bad stories. Okay. I had three jobs that I did professionally that were that I had to you do. Over. I had three do overs in my career okay. that I had I to do for you, free. Thought you were going to say you did three jobs professionally. It was more than I gave you credit for. <laughs> oh, for that's career. a good one. There you go. You're right on top of your game today. Well, anyways, all three of those jobs were screening coats. Okay. And all three of those jobs were done on a certain oil soap type product that I didn't realize was there. And, you know, we screened the floor. Everything looked good. A nice white powder. It was clean. And one, two weeks later, we got callbacks and all those little screening coats turned into a free redo, free sand job. So... Yeah, I think we have to talk about 
recodes. I see a lot of people at the schools coming in and they've had some issues with recoding and everything. So you know, I have to tell everybody's how to start taking their time and be successful with those recodes. You told me something uh, 15 years ago that I never forgot. I, I was so impressive to me that I wrote it down in my book that says Stan Stead. So you made it to the book, okay? I'm in your book. You made it to the book. I and cannot believe book. you just told everybody that. That's uh, I, I feel uh, privileged. Thank you very much. Well, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Be, wait, uh, wait, wait. I take that back. What would you write about me? Well, what I said was the quote that you told me was uh, when considering recodes, there's the you need to say to yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? Oh, I do love the yeah. Well, anybody that's who knows good, me knows that, that's uh, that's. That's a good quote. I love that. That's uh, yeah. That's one in other words, things. in other words, is it going to be worth the effort getting into this? The worst thing that I can I, I see when guys get into a recoat is that they get too far into a job when they realize it's a it's a problem and they can't back out. That's a scary scenario to be in. Um, so let's talk about how you set these recoats up, the expectations, the due diligence ahead of time. You know, look, when guys are busy, a lot of guys aren't, 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 you know, concerned about doing recoats or don't want to do recoats. It can be a good moneymaker, but I think there are some parameters around it. And let's talk about some of those. Well, the, the thing about recoats, I mean, if half of your business was recoats, you'd be a rich man. There's a lot of money in recoats. Um, the ton of money to be made in recoats. I think one of the things that I see in the school sometimes is guys are afraid to charge um, that good money for the recoats. Yep. And then I see other guys who come to the class who are charging amazing prices for recoats, and they love them. They want to do them all day because, you know, it's an easier job, and the juice is definitely worth the squeeze when you're getting the right money and you, you get the process down. You know, Rob, I could not agree with you more. I think there's, there's two things that happen during recodes that it's been my experience that that i see one is that guys think to themselves if i'm charging i'm just going to throw a number out there three dollars a square foot to sand and finish how can i possibly charge three dollars a square square foot for a recode um and i don't like the thought process because you know for some people just not having the machines in there not having the noise not having dust it's, it's worth it to them just to get it done uh, you know, especially we're in some of these fabulous homes and uh, these people have money. And, um, you know, I, I think, yes, you have to charge for it. And, and the other thought process I see sometimes is, is guys are very cavalier about it. Well, I'll just come in here and then screen it. I don't have to do anything else. I'll just screen the floors and I'll, and I'll, and I'll put the finish on. And that's, that's a, a screening coat. And, uh, I, I think I, you, you have to look at it a little bit differently in my mind. And that's why I think you also have to charge accordingly. I think you have to do your due diligence up ahead of time. You know, what's on that floor that's a contaminant that's not going to allow my finish to bond. And that's an investigation process that starts with you and conversations with the homeowner. And I always say that I believe about half of what I'm told and maybe not that much. And it might be for various reasons. It's not that the homeowner is necessarily trying to conceal anything from us, that maybe they don't know or maybe they're embarrassed to tell you because they know they did something they shouldn't have done. Uh, but those things need to be uh, gone through and um, 
and testing needs to be done. You agree? If I had tested those jobs that went bad on me, I would have it would have saved my uh, saved my bacon on those jobs. And I didn't test anything. Uh, my grandfather had an old saying, Robbie, when the powder's white, she's good to go. It's nice and clean and you're good. And the problem is, is some of the acrylics and some of the oil soaps and whatnot, they buff white. So you do think it's clean and it's not contaminated and everything. So testing, it's one of the things that uh, we talk about in the two day and the four day any recoats, even if we're doing one day quick recoat seminars and things, testing is huge. And with me now, it's turned into two tests. One, I want to test the floor, the finish that's already there. Okay, because if that finish is no good, if we put our finish on top of it, when finish dries, it pulls tight. So it's going to pull from that area. It's going to find weak spots and you're going to create peeling that might not be there, but was kind of bubbling and waiting to explode underneath. So you want to test the finish that you're going to be attaching your finish to. And then the second test is going to be actually putting some of your finish to make sure that everything is compatible. So it's really a two-step testing process. Was it your uncle that told you that? My grandfather. When it turned to your grandfather. Don't you think that – I look back at the old-timers sometimes and I think – and maybe it's just, um, you know, uh, romanticizing the trade, but didn't it seem like it was a lot easier back then than it is today in some regards? Absolutely. Everything was easier back then. I, I think that, I mean, we got better tools nowadays. We got better products nowadays, you know, but, but I think the demands are more than they were. I think the speed of the game is, uh, you know, there's more competition. And I think, I think the game has changed in some, sometimes I remember with my uncle, we started every morning, you know, we go to his house in the morning and, 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 you know, we'd have breakfast or we'd go out and have breakfast in the morning before we went out to, a, we'd actually go to a restaurant and sit down and have breakfast before we went out to the job. And then as I became a contractor, I couldn't imagine uh, being able to take the time to do that. You know, so. Wait a so minute. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Let, let's back up a little bit on this. I just said everything was much easier back then. It was absolutely not much easier back then as far as the labor went. I mean, as far as the equipment that they had to use and the nailers and, and you know, that was definitely, things have definitely got easier for us with the changes in equipment and tools. So I just wanted to clarify, I think the customers were a little easier back then. Yeah, I think that, you know, well, listen, I remember in California in, uh, you know, when the, when the housing boom, when, oh man, now your house that you bought for, for 150,000 is worth 490,000. You know, every, every house went up exponentially. And now you go into a 1200 square foot home that costs them $800,000. And, 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 you know, now it's just not, now it's the Taj Mahal, you know what I mean? Cause they spend $800,000 for that house. Now everything is, oh man. It's got to be absolutely perfect because this massive investment that they made. When in reality, it's a twelve hundred square, square foot home. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a track home. But uh, the games change. I think that that raised the uh, the uh, stress level in the, in the, a little bit as well. So testing for these products that these contaminants that that uh, that are on the floor why why doesn't screening alone get them off I mean uh, on the floor I mean you're supposed to go there and screen the floor so why don't you talk about that a little bit Rob 
why screening alone does not work. Well, the reason that you want to be testing is, like I said, to make sure that everything's going to be compatible. The thing is, too, is where you're going to do that test. You wouldn't test underneath a carpet. You wouldn't test in a closet. And, of course, you wouldn't test right out in the middle of a, of a floor or a sight line. But you do want to test in an area that's maybe off to the side, but you know is being maintained like the rest of the floor, where people sometimes aren't going to do their maintenance under carpeting or in a... In a closet or something like that so when you do those tests that's where you want to be doing the tests the areas that you want to be doing the tests in well what's a test how do you test cross well we call it a crosshatch test where we lightly uh, take a razor knife and we do a quarter inch checkerboard type um, configuration and you're only talking about the size of a playing card you know just a small area you're not going to take your razor and go down into the wood. You're just going to lightly score the top of the finish. Like I said, with that um, quarter inch squares, put a piece of duct tape on there, heat that duct tape up with your fingers, and then give it a good pull. Yeah, I think technically now they're calling, when you do that on a job site, it's calling it a field hatch test i believe i could be wrong on that but i yes you're right about that but um even it's not a cross hatch crop, test anymore it's a field no hatch test. it's i believe it's called a field test um field it's not because a cross hatch test i think technically has to be done in a lab or something i could be wrong but i think i'm right um but to your point even before you get the cross hatch test or a field test done um you can also take what are we testing for what are the what are the the no-goes, it would be um, acrylic, right? Some of these products have acrylic on them. Acrylic that, paste uh, waxes. Paste wax and acrylic. One mm -hmm. test you can do for acrylic, you can take uh, uh, half uh, ammonia and half um, half water and uh, do the tests. And if it, it, it let it sit on the floor for a while and for about a minute and then kind of run your fingernails through it and agitate it. If it starts to turn milky white and starts to peel, you'll, you know that's acrylic. And uh, that's one test you can do. So what about disclaimers? I mean, a lot of guys will say, well, listen, I'll, I'll give them a disclaimer and what have you. I, I did talk to one guy who does something that was interesting where, you know, he tells them, this is my price to do this, this uh, abrading recoat. And um, I will do everything, all my due diligence, do testing, what have you, but we cannot guarantee that it's going to, it's not going to appeal. We, you know, if my, if we don't know ex absolutely what's on this floor, there's a chance that it may peel. If it does, it's going to cause you to have to sand and refinish the floor. And this is my cost to sand and refinish. If we have to go down that road, I will deduct the cost of, of the screen and recoat. You see what I'm saying? Then his normal square foot price, that's $3 a square foot. He puts in the bid at like five bucks a square foot. Um, so he doesn't get hurt. That makes sense. That it's not a bad way to go. I mean, I, I think, you know, you have to have the conversation up front and, and we talk about uh, being transparent and, and expectations and everything. And I think you have to put it out there up front first. Everybody's got to have a little skin in the game. Yeah. That's the deal here. I mean, and after my third failure, that's how I started to write up my quotes. My estimates was, look, I charge this amount to screen and coat your floor. And I charge this amount to sand your floor. So if it fails... 
I'll come back and give you a, a, a slight discount on resanding the floor. If it doesn't, then we're all good to go. But that was really, that was, you know, that was back a long, that was 30 years ago when we started to do that before we were testing and things like that. So, but you do want to have everybody, everybody's involved. Everybody has some skin in the game and then you're not going to get burned. Actually in the school, uh, our school workbook, we have an actual uh, disclaimer type of contract that, you know, you can kind of fill in the blanks with your own company and everything and write that, uh, write that contract up just to, you know, help you out so you don't get burned. Yep. Another challenge uh, doing recoats is, um, you know, you're, you're dealing with a cured finish now and I'll get into aluminum oxides in a minute, but, but let's say it's a polyurethane floor that's cured, been cured for years and years. Now you need to get a bite into that floor uh, with the, uh, with the, uh, with the screen or whatever abrasive you're using. And, Oftentimes you have to get pretty aggressive to get the necessary bite, and of course now there's a concern with the uh, with getting swirl marks. Okay, so that's another challenge, especially going into the high sheen levels, and especially because of the can lights in the ceiling. So in that case, uh, if you're going to go down that road, I, I think it's smart to uh, if you're going to have to go with say a 120 grid because it's a you know it's a floor has been down for years and years, you need to come back behind that with a finer screen. And I, I, in any case, I like to finish up with a maroon pad or a conditioning pad, which is about a 320 grit, which will soften the scratches more. Hey, I got a question that I can't get this out of my head. The last podcast, you said that you officiated a wedding. Yeah. Was this legal? Did they, were this, was this a legal wedding? Yes. I'll have you know I'm a minister now. You, uh, you are not a minister. I I can show you the proof. You I actually my I didn't even do it. I have to say my wife went online and did it all for me. I think it took like 15 minutes. So it took the wind out of my sails of that. You know I'm actually a minister when anybody could do it in 15 minutes online. But it's legal and binding. Yep. And uh, it's a uh, daughter's or my. Is this a new daughter. thing? Are you starting a church, uh, an adhesives church, or something? Or you know it went straight to my head. It really did. I that you don't. Never give an ugly guy a compliment if you're a woman. <laughs> and never give a guy with no talent or no, uh, just a little bit of credibility because it went right to my head. I started thinking of all the weddings I could do and you know, I could forgive people's sins and, and all kinds of stuff. Oh, so you're, you're into this then. You're heavy. You're, you're like uh, that new HBO show. You're, you could be some of the righteous gemstones type thing. Nah, I got over it in the weekend. I go back to work. So... Well, you know, my daughter's getting married in May. Your daughter is. Yeah. 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 Well, first of all, first of all, I'm going to check and see if she has a. I'm going to check and see if she, uh, she has a minister. I mean, this could be a good well, way to get a gift out of you. Uh, yeah. Um, that is my gift. Me showing up. <laughs> I mean, I got to pay for my plane ticket and do the work, and then get a gift. So what was it? Was it one of those things that I hear that, you know, you kind of got the calling, that kind of thing? No, they just asked if I could do it. Actually, okay, I'll tell you, it's kind of funny because, you know, they know that I'm also a, a huge movie fan and, and a, a great movie critic. And um, <laughs> knowing that, they, they, they sent me this little video. Uh, they said, gosh, we, found, we saw this fantastic movie. Have you seen it? It's called The Efficient. 
starring then it had you know the starring Wayne Highlander and what have you and then they had a little story about themselves and everything and that was them asking me to be the officiant at their wedding which was pretty pretty nice so yep and um, you are an onion man you are there are many layers to Wayne Highlander fisherman corporate stooge uh, minister I yes I um I don't get emotional very often, and you know, so whatever, you know, I, I'm 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 practicing this thing because it's one thing doing a speech, you know, at work. It's another thing when this is the most important day of this girl's life, and you got to be up there doing a the speech. And if it goes wrong, I mean, she's only going to have this one day, and uh, so there's a fair amount of pressure. And when I, I've done the speech 60 times before I got there, I mean, I practiced it. Then I thought, well, it's an outdoor wedding, so I'll go practice outdoors because maybe that's different. Then, you know, then I, you know, I went to the place ahead of time and I, you know, I, I did my due diligence. But, um, all right. Today's word, everybody, is due diligence. When you hear the bell, that's, um, Wayne has gone over the, the word. due diligence mark of six. <laughs> so, uh, as I'm there uh, during the wedding, I, I started to get a little emotional and I thought, well, you know, when I practice this, like I got a ham sandwich at one time in my hand, I've got, you know, I'm drinking a Coke while I'm doing it. I'm eating some peanuts and doing it and it's no big deal. I'm doing it. But then when you look out there and you see mom crying, the grandmother crying, the brides that, you know, uh, their family crying, the groom family and, and the, and the girls in front of me and the tears are running down her face. It changes everything, man. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't ready for that because they've realized the huge mistake that they've made in <laughs> choosing you for the minister, and you've ruined the the one day that they're gonna have to look back on for the rest of their life. So, of course, there was well, a lot of tears there. Well, so, I think they. So, how emotional had, did you get? Did you start to tear up too, or just just for just for uh, I got it together pretty quick. Is I know the girl. I was there when she was. I was at her parents' wedding. I was there the day she was born. I, you know, so, you know, and I don't have a daughter of my own to walk down the aisle, I, you know, like, like you, you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was, uh, for me, it was a big deal. So yeah, I did for a second, but I pulled it together pretty quick. I just looked at that ugly guy in the audience I told you about. The, the ugly, was, dumb guy. Yeah. The dumb guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I it got me back together. So where was I with, um, okay. So, um, so let's talk Aluminum a little oxide. bit about recoats. Yes. All right. Aluminum so oxide. what you were talking about with scratch patterns and things like that and the hard aluminum oxide floors. Well, guess what? We have a product called Prep. Have you ever used Prep before? Bona Prep. Uh, of course I have, yes. Awesome, Absolutely. awesome insurance policy. And to break it down pretty quick of what Prep does is you apply prep on the floor, very easy. You spray it, you buff it in with a black pad, you know, kind of the janitorial pad. You spray that in, you work in about a five by 10 area, buff it into the floor. You work in a five by 10 area because you're gonna create a slight slurry. And by working in that five by 10 area, that gives you time to wipe up. You don't want that slurry to dry. So you buff it on, spray it on, buff it, and then wipe and then keep moving. And what PrEP does, especially with those aluminum oxide really hard finishes, you know, especially some of those floors that came out in the 90s. You know, I remember uh, I once did a Mirage Birch floor that was one of the first aluminum oxide floors to come out and they were just using a ton of aluminum oxide in those floors and they were impossible 
to get any abrasive through. You, you hear people at the schools, they, they can't sand through this stuff. There's a special sanding processor for that, but that's, uh, that's another podcast. But what prep does is it slightly softens the finish, okay? And not, I'm not talking about softening it like you were using a paint remover, but it just slightly softens that finish. It softens it enough so you can get an abrasive through it. So now you can get that 180, 240, or even the um, 320 maroon pads like you were talking about. Uh, it was also something we did a ton in sport floors and not so much to uh, soften the finish, but it was a great insurance policy. It was a great um, uh, product to use to remove mild contaminants that could you know, wreak havoc on your adhesion between coats. Um, so you bring up a couple things there, um, and it kind of goes into sports floors a bit. We'll get into that in another podcast, but you want to talk about the diamond abrasives now on how this, these, the scratch pattern and, and, uh, how less of a, of a swirl mark they'll leave in the floor. Uh, I will tell you this about diamond abrasives. Do not talk about diamond abrasives if your wife is in the house. Okay. Don't be on the phone talking to somebody about diamond abrasives because, Pauline happened to walk by the office one day when I was coaching a guy on how to use the diamond abrasives. But all she heard was the word diamond. I, you know, she um, strained her neck. She was spun around so quick and came running into the office. And I kept telling her, I'm, I'm sorry, it's, it's just not that kind of diamond. But So be careful when you're using the word diamonds around your wife. Gosh. You know, it's my and it's my wife's birthday today that we're doing this podcast. So, yes, I have the door closed. So I hope she didn't hear the word diamond because it's not happening. It, exactly. Oh my God! Especially on her birthday. I mean, if she hears the word diamond, no, we've got uh, way too many fishing poles to buy before diamonds come along. I, you know, I really hope she hears the word diamond though, especially on her birthday. Now I'm kind of, I'm rooting for Judy on this one. <laughs> So diamond abrasives, talk to me about this new technology. Have you seen it? Have you worked with them? Yes, very much so, yes. I remember the first time they came out, it's just a, a small six inch, five inch, six inch pad. Then it really doesn't look like much. And I remember when they first came out, they said, um, yeah, three of these pads uh, on a double side, double stack maroon pad will cut about 3000 feet on a sport floor. And I thought, oh my God, that is that is never gonna happen. I've been around the business for a long time and there is nothing out there that can cut 3,000 feet. Well, uh, my, bum, uh, my son and I, we had a gym, 6,000 foot gym. We both started in the middle. We had two sets of pads, went about 1,500 feet each, heading, you know, he was heading to one wall, I was heading to the other. We stopped, we vacked a little bit of the dust out and kept going and it completely cut that 6,000 foot gym with six pads. It was absolutely amazing. And the great part about it was uh, on that job we were using the 180 diamonds. It was a 350 uh, sport polyurethane we were putting on. The build that was left behind because we didn't remove a lot of finish. What we did was we cleaned the floor with prep so there was no contaminants. We were right down to the bare finish, not the bare wood, but we were down to the bare finish. 
with no contaminants in between. We abraded the floor using the diamonds. And I went back the next day to check the job out. And the head of the maintenance uh, department said, no, you can't go in there. It's still wet. And I said, geez, that's really good drying conditions and everything. And it had good airflow. So I was pretty shocked. It was still wet. It was not wet at all. It was completely dry. But it looked so amazing that he thought the floor was still wet. And it did. It looked unbelievable. Because with the diamond, we get an amazing scratch pattern, but we don't remove finish. You keep the build there. And build is what, you know, build is everything. Build is protection. Build is, you know, life of the finish. But it's also, uh, the cosmetic is just incredible how it looked. Like I said, it did. It did look wet well also for gym guys i was always amazed i you know we didn't do gym floors but uh, through this job and and others i i've been around a lot of gym contractors and did some coats uh, coating gym floors and some braiding and the swirl marks that gym contractors get sometimes on you know they're doing ten thousand square feet sometimes that's a lot of that's a lot of a braiding and uh and it's always a gloss finish they're 99 of the time I, well every job i've been on has been gloss on the gym floor and uh, it's a recipe for swirl marks, right? So Absolutely. I mean, between using gloss finishes and the new high-intense lighting that's involved with uh, sport places, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, the thing that you have to remember, too, is, you know, back in the old days, we did everything with a 100-grit screen because we thought we needed to get really aggressive, lots of dust, Lots of heavy scratch marks to get good adhesion, but something that we've learned through the years, it's not the depth of the scratch, it's the number of scratches you put in. So, um, you know, actually one of the best things you can use is a maroon pad. The only issue you have with a maroon pad, it's only good for about 700 feet per pad, about 350 feet per side. So, you know, um, it, when you're doing a large gym, or, you know, when you're doing anything, you have to really make sure that you're using the right pad. You're getting the right square footage out of that pad. I'm trying to say it and I can't figure out how to say it, but that's it. You're looking to get the right footage out of that pad because if you don't, then you could wind up with some issues. And that's what we love about the diamonds is the versatility and how far they'll go. Yeah. And I, I, my experience was the same as yours. I mean, they put them in my hands. It goes, look, how much you're going to get out of this, this uh, diamond abrasives. I thought, nah, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't look that special to me. But once you see it on a job, man, it is. And especially the scratch pattern, it leaves, like you said, man, it's a game changer. And uh, the feedback's been incredible. So that's one option for aluminum oxide floors. Uh, we talk about the Bona Prep, which I, you know, I've got thousands and thousands of square feet of the Bona Prep done on jobs. Um, be aware that there is a floor out there that has Scotch guard in it and nothing sticks to Scotch guard. And they, I know they've gone around to everybody, the manufacturers to find some way to stick finish to this product and it does not stick. So while there's not a lot of them out there, a, a test that you can do for these floors. And I think it'd be a good test for any pre-finished floor that you think might have it is take a Sharpie and make a mark on the board, like a three inch mark. Obviously you don't want to do it right in the middle of the kitchen. And uh, if it beads up, and you can just wipe it right back off with your, your finger, that's, that's Scotch Guard on, on the floor, and nothing sticks to it. So that's another test that you can do. 
Uh, like I said, and the, what type uh, of floor was that for? That's for uh, what, uh, a floor that has Scotch Guard in it in the finish. Nothing sticks to them. Period. So uh, I know a lot of guys that? got the. Uh, I don't know the manufacturer. It's, a, it's one of the larger manufacturers. And uh, I've seen some guys get their heart broke on that. And then in the end, find out nothing. Because I remember that there was a huge company in the wood floor industry that wasn't in the finish market. And they were playing with the Scotchgard type of finish. And uh, they ended up pulling it off the market because they just couldn't get it to work. Yeah. So I, I know there's still just, some... I just wonder if you ran into some of those jobs or something. No. Um, I don't know what the manufacturer is, but there's still a few of those jobs out there. So it's just, you know, it's just, again, it's doing your due diligence and your testing, and that's why you, you have to. I mean, these can be money makers, flat out money makers. There's due diligence. Again. Yeah, guy, you cut that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you you got to do your, your homework up ahead of time, and and, uh, and, and that's your why you got to charge for it also. Your due diligence. I mean, yep. Yeah, either one of them. That's right. Um, so now uh, doing a recoat on a on a pre-finished floor. Now there's another challenge: is that you got a floor that's flawless, and um, now you got to put a job site finish on it. So your 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 work will be compared to a perfectly flawless floor. Now, in my case, not an issue. Rob, oh, I know damn! You. I was gonna go there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for the opening, and then I'll pounce, yep. right? That's why I talked fast when I got uh, there. And you got it. You're learning. Go on, finish <laughs> what you were going to say. You don't have okay, to worry so about that flawless finish. If you do your work up front. That's right. <laughs> so... Um, which includes, I mean, this is, uh, we talk, talk about charging for it. You know what you're, what you're up against. So you definitely want to charge for it. You want, cause it's going to take your, you, you know, on the, no, you're lost in the woods, man. You, you're lost in the woods. I nailed you. Remember what you were saying? You were saying you were uh, comparing the finish to the pre-finished floor. And then you were going to give a shout out that you don't have to worry about, but I probably had to. So Take it from there. I have no idea what you just said. The, um, you were the one who said it, man, not me. I, I, I don't know what that was all about. You were talking but, uh, about what a pre-finished floor looks like, and you're going to put a site-finished floor down. But you wouldn't have to worry because you're Wayne Highlander. And what would you do, Rob? You, you probably have a lot of issues trying to match that perfect finish up. That kind of thing. I think that's where you were going. Okay, and I think I've said it all. <laughs> Are you eating cheese and crackers right now? Is no, that why I, 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 I was... Uh, is I that where you're at? No. <laughs> so then, uh, this has been another episode of On the Floor with Wayne Highlander and Rob Johnson. Please stay tuned for another episode. <laughs>